you've done a talk show? Yeah. That's so cool. I had my own talk show for a while. Really? Where? Um, it was a radio program, and it was a, it was a, um, a recorded broadcast. The problem was I would listen to my recordings, and I couldn't stand the way I sounded. That is so common, though. You, yeah. know, you know, there are artists who can't listen to their music or to their singing. I don't listen. I can't edit my own stuff. Part of what people do with podcasting is to cut out short clips and then post it on social media. I can't go through it. Right. It's too much. It takes up too much space in my head. Well, I couldn't stand my sound. I couldn't stand it. But, and no one told me. They said, you sound fine. Everyone thinks that. No, no, no. I really sound bad. I'm like, so convinced. I canceled my own. I, I had a sponsor. I canceled it. <laughs> says, please, no, I can't. I couldn't stand it. So going, end up getting um, speech therapy and voice lessons. Really? My voice is so much better. Now. You can't help imagine how bad my voice was before. It was, I couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand how I talked. Wow. So I went for the therapy and, and so uh, I'm not listening to my own stuff, so I don't have to go to speech therapy uh, and voice lessons. Your voice is fine. Your voice yeah. is fine. See, but I think yours is too, or right. probably was too. <laughs> <laughs> probably was. Cool. Anyway, thank you. Thanks You're for welcome. being here. I'm so grateful to yeses. You know, when I ask someone to be on, they say yes. I'm very grateful. And I think you have so much medicine to share that fits in way more time than we're, we're going to spend. So hopefully we can, you know, get to some stuff and um, so your latest venture you're on the, the st you shared with me the website with the program that you you launched yeah beatrificdad.com that's what is it about <laughs> it's about what it takes to be a terrific dad i've run across so many young people and even older people whose fathers were just so out to lunch either they were they were themselves had their own problems or addicts or they were um, abusive, or they were just clueless, narcissistic. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some lot of dysfunctional men raising families, and they their kids come out real basket cases. All right. So, um, and I've, I've dealt with hundreds, maybe not thousands, but for sure hundreds and hundreds of kids. And um, it all began when I was in Israel. In the story in Israel, and I was uh, I lived in Beit Shemesh, not, not Beit Shemesh. Yeah. Cool. Israel. You know, I came back yesterday. I know. Welcome back. Good. Thank you. It was amazing. I'm, I miss Israel. Great. I yeah. love it there. So you lived in Ramad Beit Shemesh? How long ago? I lived there from 2012 to 2016. Wow. Cool. You made Aliyah? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And um, Friday nights, my wife was exhausted. She'd fall asleep. Some of my daughter and I would take a walk around the area. And there's a park called Ayalon Park. Mm -hmm. Throngs of kids. All these kids out there, and uh, the kids were not, not necessarily there to discuss a Tosos and the Rashba, and they weren't doing mitzvahs out there. They were doing other things that they shouldn't be doing, and the least of which was drugs and alcohol. But I could see, you could see, like like little neshamas shining little like like little lights over their heads. So these beautiful souls, and they're misguided, perhaps, but the beautiful souls. And so I just had to do something. And uh, I'm not a, a really great one for languages, but I'm going to give it a shot. I care about these kids. Just like these kids, it's such beautiful souls. I got to do something. And uh, so I came back next time prepared. Yeah. Do you want to hear a story? And I tell my stories in my um, fractured Hebrew. Uh, but they thought it was funny. They would correct me. And they, the stories had some traction to it. And week after week, talking to the kids, this one and that one. And... and um, you know, I have this ability to understand people kind of a deep fashion and, and uh, start talking to them, get to know them and give them a hug and this one and the other. But after about a month or two, got to know the kids very well. 
the same kids coming every weekend, the Friday night in the park. And after a few months, I just come to cut and these kids line up. All these kids were, and they're tough kids. These kids were rejects and, you know, with attitude and everything else. And they would actually line up for a hug. They win this hug. And they'd line up. And they told me they wait all week long for that hug. Wow. A few seconds, off they go. But over time, I noticed these kids were changing. Look, you can see their eyes. So what was it that, that, that you gave them? The stories, the presence, the being with them? I think just being with them. They, they never had the experience of being with a religious uh, male, a religious man who could embrace them and accept them on their turf. Right. For who they are, who the they way are. they are. Right. And just, just be there for them. And, and they loved it. And it, it, would just, it would just snowball. So how does that work as a parent? Because as a parent... And what's often difficult with acceptance is when, it, when it's my own. It's like, how can I accept? You know, a lot of t- uh, very often the difficulty or the lash out that a parent has is, okay, part of it could be their own triggers. Like it brings up there's really nothing wrong with the circumstance. It's just their own story and their own, you know, narrative and their own fears. And very often it's their own wants for their kids to just do better and be better, which is not working. But... From, it's, it's sometimes easier to accept and hug and love a, a, a random kid than one can their own. Well, right. it depends where you are in the story of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I found common in all of these kids and all the kids I've dealt with since then, literally hundreds and hundreds of kids, even having one time I was on the plane. I was coming out leading a birth rate trip and I was coming back and- um, Oh, you did so much. <laughs> I'm not- what else? <laughs> it's so cool. So it's, you led birthright groups? Yeah. So you that was while you lived in Israel? Or no, afterwards. That was, it was last year. Wow. Um, and so I was coming back on the plane. I'm talking to one of those flight towns. He was talking and she was concerned I wasn't eating the food because the food going out there I thought was making me sick. So I wasn't going to have it. I brought my own food. But she felt worried about me. We're talking and this and the other. And she got me some food. And we're, she started schmoozing. And... Um, through a variety of avenues, she started sharing with, about her life with me. And we were talking. And I said to her, tell me, did your f- father ever hug you? Mm-hmm. She said, never. And what I found in all of these kids, all of the capital, all these kids and all the people I run with these misfit kids are struggling, their fathers never hugged them. I asked them, your father, no, father hugged me, never hugged me. Right. And so, so that, that's the emphasis on the hug. The hug, hug like is, the presence. It's like I'm here and I see you. And I care. I, 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 care. I feel they want to feel a father's hug, different from their mother. Fathers, fathers have a different kind of energy, a certain kind of power to the kid. They want to feel their father's strength and the hug and cons- and love and security. They right. Crave it's like it. it's a cer- it's a certain safety, like if, if the, the dad gives. It creates safety and it creates acceptance that creates security yeah. the creates i'm not good enough story the, the the constant i'm not good enough story that's a daddy thing i think so uh-huh. i think so the fathers just don't give their kids that sense that i care so, so deeply so again so it's it's it comes it's what happens often is that if they'll give the acceptance that you're the good enough message it, you know parents are afraid they're afraid that, you know, if I, if I accept whatever they do, you know, specifically with teenagers, 
Yeah, I'm like, like they're just gonna go off and do who knows what, and they're gonna hurt themselves and their lives and their future and their grades and their degrees and their potential and their relationships and in the former circles their shaduchim and their status. Like parents, I find are sometimes besides again, like I said, besides their own stuff, it's like they're afraid for for their kids. So often, what mm-hmm. becomes a, a, a fight or a, a, you know between parents and kids, it it it, it originates from. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do how does a parent navigate that unconditional, you're good enough and I love you, and then to, you know, to help them navigate life? Well, okay, there's, that's a many layered question. It's a very complex question because Pendry is starting in this process. The very beginning with children, if you Tell know, me. If you begin with children when they're younger, you know how to raise the kids and love the kids and direct the kids. Like one of the first programs I have on the BeAterificDad.com is called Discipline. Discipline to a child equals love. My father taught me that. Discipline is not punishing. That's, all, that's punishing. That's, that's, discipline is directing, caring, guiding, loving, giving them um, boundaries, giving them goals, giving kids need, and of mm-hmm. course hugs. But it's discipline. Discipline is not punishing. So, di- so discipline isn't the no it's also the yes. Yeah. It's like no to this, yes to this. There is this this thing I once heard, like every no, it requires a yes. Every yes requires a no. Otherwise, it's out of balance. Correct. Disciplines them and gives them guidance, direction, purpose, helps them with that. Right. And they, and they know their limit. They know their roles. They know their place. They, they have, like for instance, important, no matter how much help you have in the house, kids should have chores. Mm-hmm. Every and what age are you thinking of when you're when you're saying like? Depends what age and discipline. Well, discipline begins at the age of two. Oh, wow. And here's how it begins. Begins um, when they're two years old. I'll tell the kids, come to Tati. Every so often, they all do the exact same thing. They shrug, they go, they go, uh, uh, like, you know, the father with the head shrinks, the shoulder, uh. My wife knows to leave because we've got our first episode of discipline with the child. And teach him. And so I said, Oh, come to Tati. Mm-hmm. I go, Come to Tati. One, come to Tati. Two, come to Tati. Mm. Three. And here is the breaking point. Here's a part where most parents fall. They say, Oh, they count. I'll count to three, two and a half, two and a quarter. No, they, three. Three means the consequence is coming, period. Because I say two, you better be at a full run. My kids know. When I say one, when I say two, they're at a full out run to get done. Otherwise, the, the punishment is going to come. Now, the punishment is a very interesting punishment. And this is a very, um, this is what I did. Not every father can do this. But here's what I did. And we're on video, right? I'm going to show you something here. I'm going give, to give them your left hand. I'll say to the kids, you won't listen to my mouth, and listen to my hands. <laughs> a light, light little tap. If you, it's never, never hard, never a, never, never a potch, never, ever, never touch a child when you're angry. It doesn't work and it ruins everything. It's a gentle, gentle tap in the hand. And look, look, and look, and all of a sudden they start, and they start crying. There's no pain involved, but they know that it was disapproved. But then the next important part would be Quick, go over there, come tight. Here, come back and have run across the room, come back and forth and give a big hug and come back and forth. And let them do a chufa thing 
where now they can be running and playing and they're practicing listening to Tati. Mm-hmm. Go there, come to Kati. Go there, come back and come. So th- that's something that you would practice at a very, very early age. Two. Wow. And by the time the three, four, five years, they, they Now, don't. Now, do you think that an ADHD kid is any different? Nope. Really? Yeah. My head said I don't buy it. <laughs> the only difference is now you have to understand what, what the kid is. Some kids can be so involved in stuff, they don't hear you. Oh, that's right. So, so you're get, saying just to make sure that they actually pay attention. Correct. Get their like, attention. So when I call them, I'm present with them. So I see where they're at, what they're up to. And also they're tuned. When they when you hear Taya say go one, whoop, huh, huh, what, huh, what? They want to, they, they know right away, sums up. So they're tuned. They're already trained from the age of two on. When I start counting. So, so I got it. So if I miss the boat, that's a whole new ball game. Right now. It depends what so age I miss the boat. Okay. Okay. My oldest, Shlomo, you know Shlomo? Probably. So my older, my oldest is, um, I don't know, he's self-regulated, always has been. Like he, I remember when he was eight, he would tell me, Todd, it's my bedtime, time to put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I never expected that I need tools or methods with the, with the, with the little ones. So, um, but Levy is now five and then the other one is one and a half. So I'm like, okay, so what if I missed the boat? At two, I wasn't, when Levy was two, I didn't even think I need to think discipline. I didn't even think it's applicable. Right. And now he's five. I'm like, wait, what did I not do? So, so at this age already, it becomes tug. Like it's, we're tugging. Yeah. So now once you're already a different stage of life, different stages require different type of techniques. So this, at this, at this age, um, you're going to have to have a, a bit of a discussion with a child. And have an expect, like, expectation of what, here's your job. And you tell me back, what's your job to be done? What's, what's the rules here? Uh, so it becomes more conversational. Right. And on their level. What's, what's the rules? And the rule is... And once we agree on the rules, then I can start setting my, my boundary or, or, or like put, implement the discipline. It has to be, re, has to be reasonable. Reasonable, ex, reasonable expectations. Very mm-hmm. important. Because you can't expect a five-year-old to want to put those things away. Yeah, or every Monday take the trash out. Right. Right. A five-year-old can say, okay, we know here's a 10-minute warning. Bedtime's in 10 minutes. A 10-minute warning for bedtime. And then, okay, five-minute warning... And what happens when they say when they don't stick to it? Or they then there's a consequence. You they know the consequences are coming. The consequence right. is, and the consequence would be the same way played as with a two-year-old, which means if I, then I have to sort of reinforce the love and the and the acceptance. Well, no, that's so, different. At five years old, if the consequence is, let's say, for instance, they're not ready for bed, uh, not, not, they're still doing, still doodling around, not getting ready for bed when they're supposed to. Now that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother program called bedtime. Bedtime is a couple hours right, I saw that. of yeah, how to do bedtime. Bedtime is a whole mindset. Now for me, bedtime was easy. All right, kids, one. And they were to the, really? <laughs> blast the bed, right? That's wild. And they knew. Bedtime entails. You, you, you got you to brush your teeth and you put things away and put your clothes out for the next day. And, you know, you don't Krishna, whatever you do. They, they know what's to be the done. Routine. Routine, mm-hmm. and this routine, kaboom, and you're in bed at this time. There's a warning, and be in bed by this time. If you're in bed early, you get a treat. Read a story. Wow. Play a game, do something, get a special treat if, you, if you're ready early. And if, if you're not ready on time, then there's a, a, a an consequence, up, you said. Pre- so it's also agreed upon. Yeah. Wow. So the, your program is full. There's a lot yeah. going on. 
Right. So how you said it started all in Israel. That's when you know it is that there's a lack in that hug. Yeah. And that and that causes a whole bunch of 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 it spirals into unworthiness and and suppressed guilt and shame. Yeah, I, I didn't know I suppressed suppressed guilt and shame. I didn't get I there. find a lot of, of suppressed guilt and shame, which which ends up becoming um masked toughness or block the feelings for, for, for guys. It's like you That's know, very true. I need to I need to toughen myself up because when I don't I feel and when I feel I meet myself in my not good enough and unworthiness and, and you know, guilt and shame. That's right. Okay. I agree. That's, that's and the true. hug feels like a a a treatment for that. Yeah. The hug, the guilt and shame is not there when when there's that mm-hmm. hug or that presence and that acceptance. So you you came so how did you come about this cuz your profession is like as a profession you're what do you do as a profession? A holistic I'm a doctor in holistic medicine? No, I'm I'm a board certified in family medicine. I'm a family practice doctor. But I chose a path of medicine called osteopathic medicine rather than allopathic. Allopathic is MDs, and osteopathic is DO. Exact same medical tra- school training, really? exact same. We have additional work on how to use, uh, use our hands to diagnose and treat the body. Really? Yeah. I treat people's bodies, work with my hands, treat them. Wow. And so you can, you can cure a lot, of calm, a lot of interesting issues you can take care of with. Um, so you're talking about the emotional, <laughs> emotional issues or only physical or both? Well, you really can't extract because you because I know you from a very therapeutic side of things, but again, as your profession, it's a very, you know, it's a very physical um, um, treatment and and like how how did you get to working with parents and kids and teens from working with the physical body? Like how's that bridge even? <laughs> and do you practice both? Like you do both in real time? The effective treatments always have what I call juice behind it. Mm. That's the soul and the shum you put into it. You feel what's going on. I have a certain gift. I can read people, understand people in a different kind of way that most people can. So it's a little different for me than most uh, most of the doctors. But there's a, you can feel a person's their energy, what's going on. Is there a sadness? Is there a joy? Is there a fear? Is there, a, is there a, an excitement? What's going on inside of them? And can you sense when it's your own feeling and when is the other? Like the difference in, in, in feeling? Yeah, that's what tricky sometimes. It's very hard. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a really cool, like, to notice that, that I find that people that have that developed well, to even develop when it's me and when it's the other and noticing the difference in that. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, you got to pull back and be brutally honest. Where's this coming from? That's, me that's, them. that's so wild. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Okay, so you're, you're, you're so what do you, like, you're, what you do is, medicine healing the physical body and that sort of then there's a full picture which is what's behind it and what else like right like that's the holistic approach to things so when you think of dads getting triggered let's talk of dads because that's the conversation so dad getting triggered what are your thoughts trigger the child doesn't do what i say like i've told you a thousand times i work so hard for you like what what do you see what's wrong with that scene that's so common like i i've i've given so much of myself i'm like my you know that that common uh luckily being a dad once you become a father most men start realizing something else is going on besides it's all about them all right it's a narcissist all right but but most guys have a sense something's different now Mm. Well, they should have. Something's different now. Now, 
most important stuff to do is look inside. Who are you first? Who's, a, who's this man that's now a father? Who's this man? What's going on? And the problem is most guys never experienced having a father. So many guys, their, their fathers themselves weren't fathers. They got a whole, you know, whole tradition of being a lousy father. They, I can sire a child. I can feed them and clothe them if I don't have to be a father to that child. What does that mean? What does a lousy dad mean to you? Like when you say they had lousy parents, what does that mean? Like a um, they were, so they, they fed them, they worked, they gave them clothing and shelter, at least uh, and for many, and, and sometimes not, but for many. But the connection, but the kids really crave mm. the connection. So when you say a lousy dad means they didn't know how to connect. Right. Mm. The, the kids, I was talking to a kid uh, yesterday, and um, parents got divorced, and the father took very good care, a good, hard, good, honest, hardworking man, provided the family very well, nice you know, a, a very nice home, food, clothing, all the things taken care of. He was well taken care of, but there was no connection. Mm-hmm. And it was- Is it a friendship that you're after, that you're no. suggesting? I'm very clear in my programs. Your kids have many friends throughout life, many teachers. You have one father and one mother. Mm-hmm. You're the father, be that man. So what is that? The connection, it's not a friendship or it's also friendship? Friendship later on. Friendship later on. You're the father. You set the rules, set the tone. You command the respect. You, can, you have a, um, uh, kids want, they want to connect their father. They want to be with their father. They want a father image. Naturally, they want that. What's right, what's wrong. What are values or not values? Mm-hmm. Another program I have on the, on the site is going to be values. What are your values, man? What values do you have? What's important to you? What's really, what are your values? So if it first starts with the dad, with myself looking at me. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of happens with the birth of a child. That, that sort of next generation is born or that responsibility. Responsibility is like, like a slap in the face for a lot of guys. Whoops, wait a minute. I got something going on over here. This is not mm-hmm. uh, so simple. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, a great opportunity for a man to step into the father role by looking at himself, what are my values? What's right, what's wrong, what's necessary, what's not necessary? What really nurtures a child? What really gives a kid? Kids come from very deprived backgrounds. They have poor housing and they have poor clothing and they get barely enough food, yet they have wonderful fathers and they love their fathers and they grow up become themselves wonderful men later on in life. Mm What's the difference? It, it's not about materialism. And we see this all the time. Right. We do see that there's like, there's both, you know, great families with, with, with struggles. There is um, people that come from deprived backgrounds and they do so wonderful. Like, w- what is it that, yeah. you know, that ticks? That, that, that you get blinded. Well, I gave you, I gave you everything. I gave you everything. I gave you, I gave you, I gave you, I gave you. Gave you, gave you. What the, that's not how you raise a kid. Let the kid earn it. Uh you want, if you want a fine, want a car, fine, earn it. When I was sixteen years old, I'm doesn't my f- that doesn't that create like a very conditional kind of? Isn't that like doesn't that become love becomes very conditional? No, because the person responsible, you get pride. I want you, I want you to be my son. You want you to be proud, so you earned this. You got you got you earned money to value your clothes. You okay, so where how does unconditional? You know, the unconditional acceptance and love work with that. Because I understand there's chesed and there's gavura, right? So gavura would be all this, like the earning and the the boundaries. And then chesed would be some kind of unconditional, like you're just good enough even when you screw up. 
So how does that, that work? Like, oh, you're, you're hitting all of my programs. <laughs> the next program is let the kids fail and love them. Uh, so all this is not, is not a love language. Love is love. Love is love. I love my kids. They've got different paths, different things, but, and they fall and they get up. Okay, we all make, we're all messed up. Everyone screws up. You're supposed to fail. Fail when you're young when it's safe to fail. Mm. And then you So let them learn. fail and love them. That's a wonderful line. And then teach them how to, how, to, how to succeed next time. You failed, fine. What do you learn from this failure? What do you learn from this? What do you do next time? What's your priority? What's your value? What do you want to do? And you learn from the failure, the falls, it makes you learn. You don't get up without going down first. You got to go down. So what's the fall? Where, where did you fall off? Let's get back up. Let's go on further. Let's keep moving. Keep mm-hmm. moving. Give the kid courage to move forward. Right. And so now if you got a kid, unconditional love, you might call him a kid. Allowance maybe perhaps. Um, but, you know, it seems so obvious to me to love a kid unconditionally because you're a kid. The problem is don't always like the kids. Right. <laughs> the kid's likable. It's another program. How to raise likable kids. Right. <laughs> well, whenever whenever a kid is not likable for any reason, it's generally a reflection of the of the parent, of them not liking themselves. Yeah, you got it. It'll you, always be like that. Right. There's no way, you know, it's so interesting how when people pitch to me why they're unworthy. And I'm like, you don't have to convince yourself to be worthy. That comes with breath. Like there, there is a given that you're worthy. There's no, you don't have to do anything about to deserve a good life, like right. to deserve success. There's nothing that anyone needs to do to deserve that. It comes with a breath. It comes with the fact that I'm living means that I am worthy to impact this world and impact my life and, um, so and, let's, and be liked, right? And be loved. So let's look at it from a different perspective. Unconditional love. Your kid does something, I don't know, stupid, something happens breaks, falls, whatever, whatever happens. How, how do you handle the kid? Do you reject the kid? Loser? Call a kid a name? What's wrong with you? No, kid made a mistake. You lost. Okay, fine. Let's get back on. And how do you cultivate the child that, that it's not about, um, you love, because they know it, because you love them and you hug them or hug your kids because you know it, you, they, they know it, they, you hug them, you guide them, make mistakes, you're there with them. To help them get to grow and keep going on. Right. It's a lot of mirroring and empathy and then throwing in like sparkles of like guidance. Right. And but but the same token, if they make a mistake, they do something wrong and they, they knew better, they take their hit. Okay, you did something wrong, you own it. And um, you have to be the child responsibility for the behavior of your choices. You made a choice, I'll help you go further, but you gotta take the consequences of that choice. So if you were speeding, got a speeding ticket, not only pay the ticket, you're paying that you're paying what it costs extra for the for car insurance. Right. If you do, if you if you um, person breaks the law, but yeah, fine breaking the law, bad happens in school, you get in trouble at school. Okay, you get in trouble at school, fine, fix it. Right, because the same unconditional okayness comes with an unconditional fact of consequence. They're both reality. Right. So it's like it's so re- it's so simple to just under for me and understand that there's a part of me that's just good enough, and so, and my kid is good enough. So it's also simple for me to understand that certain actions result in certain consequences. It's not a a, a measuring stick of how good enough anyone is. Letting kids accept their failure, they made a mistake. But I still love you. I made a mistake. Fine, 
You made a mistake. It doesn't affect a relationship. You made a mistake. Right. If you don't correct the mistake, we have a problem. If you hurt me and don't make amends, you've got a problem. Right. There's a boundary that's needed if that happens, but it's still not a, a reflection of love. Correct. And specific, you, know, you know what I, I thought, like the other day, I thought like the opportunity to change a, a brain pattern or a mahalich, like of a way of being is only when, when something goes wrong. Like not only, but a lot when something goes wrong. Like when I mess up, that's when I have opportunity for self-acceptance. Like, you know, it's, hey, this is a major issue in preventative medicine. I'm fine. Why should I take vitamins, exercise? Why should I do these right. things? I feel fine. Once you get a problem, now I'll, 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 well, it's not logical. Of course, you do things before you get a problem, but most people are, are motivated right. by all right. nuts. Yeah, so there must be a basic regiment of well-being, like just simple things that I do for my sake of well-being, not only when I'm sick, but then there, and then there is a part of the brain that like opens up. It's like a Pischili Pesach. The, the Pesach, the opening, is when I feel bad because I can't work on feeling good when I feel bad unless I actually feel bad. Like I can't Correct, right. work on myself to feel okay with who I am when I feel bad unless I actually feel bad. So it's like I need to actually feel bad in order to accept myself feeling bad. To build, I'm thinking of adults. Now it's like a, adults that are, you know, the workshops we've done and the people I know we've met together and I know my work and a lot of the places I've been. It's like adults that are, that are when, I, when I'm really working, I'm feeling good enough and okay as an adult. And where's my opportunity? Like if I stay in my comfort zone, there's no opportunity to build more of me. I have no opportunity to build more of me. When my child messes up and I'm triggered, that's when my in is. Okay, now what do I need? Like that's that, when I have like an opportunity to start working on these core, I guess, beliefs or self, self-beliefs. You know, called the, the gift of failure, the gift of challenge, the gift of whatever it is. It's a gift. Yeah. Makes you, wakes you up to do, make a change. Yeah, I like that. It's a gift. And so th- there's motivation to... Um, to change, really, you don't change when you're comfortable. No one changes when they're comfortable. The change occurs. So that's the word. It's the discomfort that allows the opportunity. Okay. It's not the mess up. It's the discomfort in it. Yeah. So there's some, some there's something in discomfort. Like there's something that it okay. allows. This is very interesting. A very, very interesting conversation. And that is when failure becomes comfortable. Right. There's no need to change to, to succeed. Right. You try doing something and you failed, and you're used to failing. I'm failing, going, it's fine. It's fine. There's no challenge to. It feels a lot better sometimes to be in a, in a, in a failure place with certain things than to risk thinking I want to not fail and then fail again. Like it's much easier to just be like, okay, this is not something I know how to do. And that's that. Yeah. It, it, it's. Um, Look, when you innovate a new program, you may not know about these things. There's a few bumps in the road. Sometimes things don't always go so smoothly. (laughs) (laughs) We spoke about it on the phone. It's like, it's unbelievable how things that seem easy, how how, how much work it takes for it to... It's enormous. And when you... Some people innovate. uh, It's not working. Forget it. Just forget it. Walk away from it. Had a great idea. It didn't work. And they walk away from it. Those, of course, are the losers. The guy said it didn't work. I know it can work. And they push and they push and they pull and they bang and they did that. Don't work and they end up and up and up and, and they finally get there and they go forward to success. But I think a lot of people are terrified of, of success. 
because of the risk of failing. Well, I'm not sure why. Maybe the risk of being something of showing their own greatness. Mm-hmm. To show how great and wonderful you yeah. are. I tell my kids how wonderful they are. You a mistake? Okay. You know, there's different kinds of leaders in the world. There's the kind of leaders that crush, conquer, and control, right? Another kind of leaders which, which um, encourage, empower, and enlighten. I love it. Cross, conquer, and control versus encourage, enlighten. And empower. Wow. And so we, I made that myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. We're going to snip that into some clip or something because that's really cool. So when you talk about discipline, you talk about, about um, guidance, yeah. about like empowering. The kids. You're a great kid. You got the power. You got these talents. You can do these things. Okay, fine. Let's, let's keep going. Keep pushing. Keep going. You can do it. You can do it. And, and encouraging. Encouraging. Get them going. Get them going. You know, um, uh, I was in the Army, and uh, the American Army. And, and in the Army, then- <laughs> Want to keep talking for like hours. <laughs> when were you in the Army? 83 to 86. Wow. What'd you do? I was a doctor in the Army. Wow. I did, um, we did, I actually was um, part of a unit at uh, Fort Detrick. We did research. My job was taking care of human guinea pigs research for va- vaccine experiments. We developed, we developed vaccines when I was in the Army. Really? And so I was taking care of the human guinea pigs who volunteered for vaccine experiments on their body. What kind of vaccines? Just Can't about. I'll tell you. <laughs> really? Well, actually, we, we, actually, we did, we did um, malaria, dengue fever. Really? Um, Venezuelan equine encephalomyelitis. Well, it, isn't that private pharmaceutical companies that develop that? How does it get to the army? Well, the army, you know, the number one uh, problem with soldiers going overseas is not bullets, it's bugs. Really? Bugs kill more soldiers and bullets. Uh, so the army has an interest in vaccines. Massively. massively. So, so that's when, so they recruit people to volunteer for testing. Right. And your job was to like to care for them. Yeah. And they got sick. They got sick or they would make sure they're okay. So and so on. That's why when the, this whole coronavirus came out, I was telling you stuff about it. I know. Wow. Behind the scenes stories. That's wild. Yeah. The, the COVID shot is bad idea. I'm going there, but this is bad. I can back it up a lot of information, but uh, so how'd you get in? Like you, you start, you had to go through training in order to, to well, work for the army. Well, I, I was in a military scholarship for medical school. Uh. So at the time it was, it was a, it was quite an honor actually, the kind of, the kind of scholarship. And so, um, and it paid back with, uh, with time. Wow. So, so, so basically you owed them time. Right. Wow. Where was this? Where, where, where were you stationed? In Fort Detrick, Maryland. Frederick, Maryland. Wow. And you, st- you slept at home and you went out yeah. every day? Wow. Okay. So what was that like? What'd you learn? What'd you learn? What'd you teach? Oh, How is so it different? <laughs> my my military, military experience is, is, a, is an amazing experience. If you, especially looking back. At the time, it doesn't always feel so good. But uh, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot, a lot from military training. Typically, now I was an officer basic training, but even the basic training... They try to break you down to build you up, push you to your limit, and then to build you up to how you can serve. I, I'm contemplating if it, it works for everyone these days. Like I'm constantly thinking, I'm thinking of myself and I'm like, what do I need? Do I need acceptance and let it sort of grow? Or do I need that? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm, and I'm looking at you, <laughs> I always think like you somehow embrace both. Like somehow... You have this, um, like, you know, you have this real kind, 
gentle acceptance. And I know you don't take, you don't take weakness as a, <laughs> it's not your, your thing. So, but in my head, it's like either or. And I think that a lot of the stuff you've been saying is almost like, how do we do both? How do we like break and build and constantly stand up? And also like, um, you know, the chesed. Well, it, it's motivation is, is the chesed. I want you mm. to succeed. And I may be tough on you, but I want you to succeed. Right. So a real coach, I'm going to coach you and say, you're screwing up repeatedly. You're making the same mistakes. What's the value? What are you, what's your problem that you're making the same mistakes? And then call you on it and push you through it. So you make a mistake. Say, for instance, a person wants, I don't know, wants to be, um, make a lot of money. And they keep failing and failing. Why, what to fail? What's, where to, where's the failing point? What priority do you have over making your job successful? What's your, pri- what's your prioritizing? Where are you prioritizing your life that you're, you're so hurting yourself? So often it's comfort. Often it's like, it's like you know, boundaries with money is, is boundaries, is the ability to be, to, to be in discomfort. So, right? So yeah, that's if, an you're, example. if you're afraid of discomfort, you, you'll never succeed. Mm. You have to learn to embrace pain. Who? You have to learn how oh. to embrace pain. And pain, it just hurts. It's just pain. Mm. It's, it's, the, pain. it's the story behind the pain is, what, is why people don't want it. Wow. I'll tell you a personal story. Many years ago, my first time having a kidney stone. Ever have kidney stones? My dad. Oh, my. It's <laughs> awful. I mean, it's, whew, man. Um, I have a pretty high threshold. And that got me, oh, I was rolling. Anyway, and I was just newly married. It was actually my internship. I was working incredible hours. I, I couldn't work on Shabbos. I had to work extra hours on the weekdays. Wow. So I was working, you know, three, six hours on, 12 hours off. And you know, I was working like crazy hours. And a lot of stress and pressure. And then it gets to you after a while. And it was newlywed. It was all the things at once. And so um, I developed a kidney stone. Now, kidney stones are called unshed tears. She's known for reference. They're always a result of stress. Really? Kidney stones. Yeah, kidney stones, they're suffering emotionally inside. And... Um, didn't know at the time, but I knew I said, wait a second. I, I knew I said, this is a kidney stone. I could I diagnose myself with a kidney stone. And there I am. And I'm, I'm on the floor rolling angry. It was really, really, really rough. While you're working. Well, no, I was, I was home. It was, I think it was a Sunday. I think right. it. And I told my wife, I said, look, don't worry. It's, look, it's just pain. It's just pain. I'm not going to die. It's just pain. And of course, it was a lot of pain. But it was, but you learn it's just pain. Right. That's the distinction. There's like, the, I once, I once heard that distinction between pain and suffering like pain is pain and suffering is the story i tell myself about the pain so right if someone falls down they break their arm the arm hurts and it is what it is and it needs the care and the treatment and whatever it needs but then when i tell myself i'm such an idiot for falling down that's a whole other thing right there's right and, and, and even even getting your teeth filled teeth drilled and filled right the dentist and Right, that, that sound that goes in the, going through teeth. Truth it's very, it's not that much pain. Just this fear of it is so intense. So if you get rid of the fear, learn to breathe. You don't need Novocaine. And I, I learned that many, many years ago. I actually learned it while I was while with my wife. We were learning um, Lamaze training for childbirth. So I can do this too. And I get my teeth drilled and filled without Novocaine. And you can do it. When you, when you get rid of the, the, the fear of the pain, right. it's not dangerous, it's just pain. Sometimes pain is dangerous. Sometimes it's danger. There is dangerous pain, but in most cases it's not. It's just pain. Right. 
Right, but even within danger, it's like there's the story of the danger and then there's the clean, like it needs right. to be dealt with. Right. So what you're referring to is cleaning up the story around it so I can like look at things and and know what's what and understand better where do I want to put money, where do I not want to, how do I want to spend my money. We're talking about money as right. an example. Okay, back to Army. <laughs> so you said that one, that one of the things that was fascinating is the training. Training, and they, they, they try to break you down to build you up. They break does it, it ever not door. work this thing like what how when does it not work or i don't know i think that a lot of people it doesn't work when people feel they can get away without cooperating mm-hmm. now there, now it does fall it does fail sometimes when they force somebody and to the point where the person gets they're so overpowered by their DS drill sergeant, they're so overpowered, they become resentful because they don't see the benefit of it. So there's a bitterness that starts happening. Yeah. And, and then, the, the, then the soldier would just fall out like it wouldn't work? Or later on in life, they reject it. Mm. I'll never do that again. I'll have enough environment. And they spend the whole life fighting their experience in the military. Mm. And so because they don't see the benefit of it. They don't understand. Right. So if you understand that sometimes things happen in life, it's, it's, a, it's a training ground. There's an opportunity to growth. An opportunity for growth, personal growth. Okay, you get that, then you can move forward. It's not so terrible. Maybe say, that's fine, I can move forward. The stuff is still there. Junk is still there. That, that bucket of all that smelly stuff is still there. It's not going to go away. Could you t- but it doesn't have to weigh you down anymore. It can actually be a means of moving it forward. Look at, okay, I can make this and work it out and look, pull the junk out look at it again. And then move forward with it. But the courage to move forward is a big issue. The courage to move forward in the face of failure, face of humiliation. You know, I meet people that are so tired of failing. So, so tired of failing. Wow. It's like as a whole. Like, Why do you look, think that is? Why are they tired of failing? I, my coach always brings me to a specific. Like that's a life story and that's not what we're dealing with. We're probably dealing with something very specific. I think it's 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 like when looking at, at the bigger picture of things, it's like there is a promise, an American Hollywood, you know, it's it's a promise or at least looking at others when, you know, it looks rosy and it looks easy. It looks like failure, like when things are difficult and a bunch of things don't work the way I expect it to work. It looks like like it's just failure all all across. So you said that it looks like. Yeah. But if you took failure as an opportunity to learn how to do it better next time, and then you change what you did to do it better next time. Right. So the tiredness come from actually comes from not believing that it can actually get better. There it's we like go. Giving, it's like giving up on the dream or on the or on the vision or on the value. It's like, you know what? I had this value when I was younger. And after 15 years of trying and it's still not happening. And I know that you, you know, you haven't, you've never stopped and you, you have kept going. And that's why I know I can, it's not like, like, you know what, what it's like to want to give up and then to not. And, you know, that's yeah. very, very inspiring. So that's why I'm, 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 I know you have a thought about that, but um, yeah, after 15 years of trying and it's not happening, then people stop believing that they actually can. There must be something wrong with me or with my muzzle or with this or with that. Could be true. <laughs> Could be true. We're just trying the wrong, try something different. Right. Maybe they're trying the wrong thing. Maybe they're trying to, to do, they're trying the wrong thing. 
over and over again. And maybe they get, they get a change what they're trying. Mm. Maybe there is a, a problem with their muscle. Maybe there's something that they've, they've vexed somebody and they've hurt somebody that didn't make amends. Maybe they are, maybe they have been a, uh, a jerk in the past and need to fix that and work that up. You know, th there's different reasons. It's interesting because I find a lot of people that are not jerks and they think that that's what stands in their way of success, specifically financial and business and, right? Because they see others that are, you know, tough and aggressive and arrogant and they're they're doing well, at least financially. So it seems sometimes that the, the softness is what stands in the way where like, you know. That's what they see on the outside. You know, I saw, I saw this great picture, a great picture. It's a picture, there's a mirror and an apple and the apple has a bite taken out of it. The part that's shown to the mirror is a part that does not have an apple, a bite taken out of it. Look at the picture. You look, take a picture, you see the mirror, and you see the mirror so shows the mirror, oh, you see a whole apple. A perfect apple. On the other side, you see you the see, bite. Right, it's, it's broken. So, and so often we look at it, we see a picture, and think, oh, that person must be this, that, and that must be so wonderful and perfect and everything. Else. Yeah, give me a break. You can't, you can't be a, a, a bum. You can't be a, a jerk and get away with it. Right. It, it, your family knows it. Right. You know, people have a lot of power and, and money. They may get people's attention. They don't get love, don't, don't, don't get respect. Mm. Right. So before I want to be like that person, I'm not so sure I want to be like them. Right. It's true. So, yeah. So t t today I, I saw this, I saw this quote. It said, you can't be anything you want, but you can be everything you are. You cannot be anything you want to be like that person or the other person, but I could be everything I am. Which is to say that a lot of a lot of the trying and failing is trying to be like that person, which is not even accurate because I don't know where they are. It's like the that's, apple. That's whole, that's whole discussion. That that's a whole different topic because that's that's true. That, that people get hung up on that. Um, I've like I've fallen that trap before. I'm falling into it. We all fall into that trap. I don't know you may have few, but I shouldn't have fallen into that trap. That I would, I would be like, why can't I be? Because eh, I can't. Right. At, at the end, I, th I think the common thing that I find. I'm, I'm fascinated for the last, I think it's the last few months when I meet people and they're 100% congruent in themselves and whatever they do, if it's a hotel receptionist or a waitress or a doctor, but there are, there are these people that stand out to me because they're so congruent in what they're doing. Hmm. And, I, and it's, it's clear that they cannot do anything else. <laughs> you know, right. like that's the kind of, success that's the kind of um drive that brings i think success at the end is to be to be in my own skin fully and let that and build that rather than be like what looks like successful from the outside with wait, wait 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 using a word using a very kind of interesting word without defining it what does success mean okay you get what successful, what success mean? Rich is not successful. No, I'm not talking about what success. What success? When I say success is like, I guess, good at what I do. Is that successful? No. What is it? Maybe they have a, they don't have, they're devoid of a loving relationship. Maybe they don't have, they're not married. They have no children. Right. right. So I'm obviously seeing only one aspect. Right. So right. success, success in the career, maybe perhaps. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm totally seeing one dimension. Right. right, but so, in that dimension, I see congruency. So that's another thing to know. Like it's not a, it's not an all or nothing thing. Like that, I could be better would, in one thing and less good in another. But at what price success? In your career, at what price of success? I, 
you know, I, I was I married, I was actually that be part of a very high power group of group of young men for quite a few years. Real movers and shakers and moving up and there and all kind of stuff, you know. And these are great, they're smart, clever, hardworking, hard hitting, you know, the, Ooh, this the group of people. These group of guys. And these guys are all moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up and and but what financially? In their in their profession and their careers and everything mm -hmm. else. And but I couldn't keep up with them because I had the family to take care of. I had other priorities in life. And um, now they're all in their 60s. And all these highly successful guys and gals, lonely. Mm. Because they were so successful in their career. Mm. They didn't know what success meant. And they were making fun of me at the time. Yeah, well, you know, you make a choice. You took your family, your kids, but me, we're moving up. And now look at these guys. It's so pathetic. It's so pathetic. And it's almost 100%, not on, almost 100% are just lost puppies. They have no one to share life with. If they're married at all, they don't have kids. If the kids, maybe one, grandchildren, maybe one or two. Nothing's zeroed. Right. So there's, they thought they were successful. Right. But now, looking back, miserable. Right. So it's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an important thing to to look at. Like before I go and I want to be like that person or like the other person, do I really? Right. And what I'm aiming for, am I not really successful in what I really want? Right. Right. So sometimes it's just a trick. Like the brain plays a trick. And the hard part is when the people who are successful moving up in their professions and their finance and career and everything else, and and they look down and say, uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Look, oh, oh, yeah. That's a nice little car you got there. And then, meanwhile, they're having their Mercedes, they, 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 like the car means something. But they start making comments and subtle little things, you know. And it becomes a they force or try to force on you, try to force on me at least for sure, the sense of they're the haves, I'm the have not. Right. So I think that's the the general American um, dream kind of. You know, you once heard that the entire concept of a home homeowners like success of being a homeowner was invented by banks that at one point in i don't, I don't know which in which era they that they are the ones that pitched in tv ads that owning a home is like a status like i've reached something in my life when i own my own home because they, they it fills their pockets this dream good move now see that successful thinking <laughs> <laughs> right Brilliant move, and and I've I've and I've heard recently that like sometimes I, I guess it really really depends like where, where a person lives and what the rent is and what the home cost is, but for sure like a basic home over a big home is more successful to have the smaller and invest the money rather than having the big home. But then from a bank's pitching sales pitch perspective, no, the bigger the home, the more successful am I, despite that 90% of it is owned by the bank and they're raking in interest, but I start telling myself that this is success. Right. So I like, I like that you pin that because, because when I start saying, when people would say, or if I start thinking that after 15 years, I'm tired, who said I don't have half of what I wished for? Maybe all. Yeah. At least. Yeah, right. Which, which brings us to the gratitude practice like how, how the power of i i know that gratitude practice is can for me at first it's like yeah what is it really helping but then it becomes a ripple effect 
like it's like a, it's like starts like oh and i have this oh and i have this and and i have and i drive a car and i have money for the fuel for the car and i have insurance and i have uh, uh you know and it's and it's working and i have uh, my cell phone and i have a newer cell phone and it's like these little things start becoming valuable and yeah that, that's another thing the gratitude thing it, it's it's two parts like gratitude you know one thing i say gratitude for a little, look at what you've got it's it's amazing it's amazing what you've got other hand say yeah but you know I was t- you think about it you know 120 150 years ago 200 years ago even parts parts of the world nowadays they have dirt floors right you know you look back in the in the shtetl this is a miserable shtetl is miserable <laughs> you have, those shtetls are miserable <laughs> they were right they were and and you had the streets were full of horse manure and All sewage. Right. They had dirt floors. Maybe you had heat in the house. Maybe you had a pair of shoes or you shared a pair of shoes and a coat. People had so little. We have now homes that are warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Floors, real live floors, indoor plumbing, abundant fresh clean water. We have, we have clothing, more clothing than we need. Right. And it's cheap. The problem with, with food, we have so much food, we're, we're all fat. We have too much food. We have so much free time on our hands. We have all. Like boredom is the issue. And we, Yeah, right, boredom. And, and, and they say, well, well yeah, I don't have. We don't have. Years ago, we would be living an average, a poor personality would be considered rich back in the 200 years ago. Right. And we have so little appreciation of what we have. We, we well, wait a second. You got healthcare? got food, clothing, medicine, shelter, right. you got opportunities. And what are you complaining about? Because your car is not a new car? Right. What? And we were so distorted. Right. So, so that tiredness, right, that tiredness that I mentioned before comes from that, a lot of it comes from that expectation, which is not even realistic in, in history. Like looking back in history, like what am I so upset about? Like seriously? Going back to become a terrific dad is, is giving kids that sense of, of connection, security, and appreciation. Right. That's, that equals safety. Yeah, you have a right. you have homes, have a nice Shabbos table and plain food, da, 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 and you can enjoy things. Okay, there's a bigger house over there, and that's that, but that's not necessary. Right. And what my parents forget, kids don't really care about that stuff. Right. They really, they really, they do not care about the big Right. That's why that rant of all I'm doing, all I'm doing, who am I really doing it for? Right. Like how much of what I'm doing is really of service to the child and how much is it for me to satisfy whatever it is? What, what do you produce? What are you giving the child in their subconscious? You know, the majority of our brain power is subconscious. Things we learn and heard and said in the back, in the background. Someone can say to you just off the cuff, oh, muddy, oh, muddy, huh? he's a jerk. And just subtle comment or muddy, wow. What a terrific guy. Just subtly, not even to you, but, but somebody else here, someone overhearing it. I said, man, this guy's a, what a terrific guy. And that somehow implants in your brain that you're a terrific guy. And then throughout life, you handle things better. Because that subconscious message, what it comes across. And it, as, as a dad, if you, kids know that you respect certain things. They re, you respect I don't know, cleanliness or your, or your respect or your, your value in, in, um, 
an effort, not necessarily, not necessarily, not necessarily being the best, but who are you doing the job? They see what who kind of person you respect. The kids, kids learn what they live. So you can preach. I remember when I was a kid that we had this saying, parents that saying, you know, don't do as I say, do as I, don't do as I do, do as I say. Remember that? Ever heard that? Don't what? Don't do as I do, do as I say. Right. That was very common back in my day. I would have thought, what a jerk. <laughs> right. It doesn't work like that because kids follow. I once heard this line, um, we wound where we're wounded. So that's well, like just that. how it works. Right. Or hurt people hurt people. Right, 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 right. All these cliches. It is true. The cliches are real. They're right. real. And, but anyway, so um, to cultivate a ch- in, a, in a person, in a young person, become an adult, you want to cultivate a sense of, of, of worthiness, a sense of um, acceptance, being loved, being lovable, being loving, all these things. And also in what is real success, what does it really mean? Right. That's a, that feels like from what we've spoken, like it's such a primal piece to everything. It's like, what, what does the word success mean? Yeah. And that'll create the values in, in my head and in my heart. And that'll sort of set a tone in my home, you know? Right. It seems like like success is this word that takes up so much, creates so much expectations from parents to kids, from parents within themselves, from life, worry, uh, pressure. It's like success, 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 success. Yeah. And, and yeah. And that, that goes to and your values. So if your values are, make a choice, make a chart. And I made a chart. I'm, uh, I'm going to post it on, my, on the, on the uh, platform, Values. Different categories, but it's learning, values of giving, values of, of health, values of wealth, values of, 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 um, of sharing, different, different kinds of values you have. What, what's really your value? And you have to you know what you, you clearly your values are. You say, oh, this all fits my values. Hmm, I'm pretty successful. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Right. Because I put it against something that's valuable to me. Yes. Oh, you have that, but you, you, sacrifice, you sacrifice this for that. Ah, uh, you made a bad choice. Right. Made a bad choice, and, and made what are good choices? Right. And so, um, you know, like, what, what's what's the value? What do you really want to have? What do you really want to have? I, I had an inspiring moment many years ago. I guess it's close to almost forty years ago. There was a, a certain rabbi um, whose daughter was living in Baltimore. And he, this guy had a spark in his eye. This guy was a gem. He's this guy that smiled, a, a real smile. You know, he just couldn't, he felt happy. And then, and walking, walking out of school one time, and his grandkids just dancing around, literally just dancing around the, their grandfather's age, just dancing around him. I said, that's what I want. Right. That's what I want. Right. To literally dance. Literally, literally dancing yeah. around them. And he was just talking, just being who he was. Wow. He just loved being around them. Right. So now, okay, he didn't have a big home or a big car. And nothing. I watched, I, on my flight back, I watched this movie. Um, I think I shared it with with five people so far. I don't. It's like, it's like, how did I not see this till now? And um, it's called um, Patch Adams. Oh yeah. That that's the medicine you're talking about. You know the movie? I never, Where he practiced. Yeah, I never saw it. I never saw the movie. So he he basically checked himself into a mental institution because he was suicidal and struggling and he couldn't keep a job for more than he's in his forties, this 
and he's in there and this is the 70s and the doctors were very like not making eye contact or connecting with their patients like asperger's <laughs> basically and it's apparently a true story so he he's in there and he starts seeing that the doctors are doing nothing. And he he had a roommate with, that had imaginary squirrels. So he couldn't go to the bathroom at night because he was scared of the squirrels. So he started like playing along and basically creating laughter like uh, like in group circle. He just patched like he would just get everyone to crack up in just tears, <laughs> laughter. And he would just play along like, let's go shoot the squirrel, squirrels and like just pretend and play along. And he noticed that everyone is better, including himself. It's just it just works like just and, and the, while the doctor wasn't even looking up at, at the patient, so he left. He left the mental like institution. He 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 left against the doctor's advice, and he went to college to become a doctor. With the goal was to help people in the way he knows people can be helped, and everyone was against him because back then it's about you know being a doctor was only about the I can't help someone if I'm on the same level. It's right. being, it's being up there. It's, it's paternalistic, actually. Paternalistic. Yeah. And he fought, he fought, and his goal was to provide loving care. And, 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 and like everyone fought him and people were against him. He, and, the, and they saw that the overall health in the hospital where he was part of was better. More than overall, like specific people's health were better because that, that good, good word and the laughter and the smiles. Like it was, it was actually making an, a physical impact on, on, on people's health. Like their mindset actually affected their, their body's way of healing. So, you know, with that, like people that feel stuck, what do you think, how much of it do you think is, could be a physical part that, that, that's lacking? Like how much, like so much, you know, there's a lot of, at least in my circles, there's a lot of therapizing. And, and w how much of it is sometimes like I'm repeatedly stuck, 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 stuck. What, what, when you look at it holistically from a medical and emotional, like how much, do, like if a parent keeps snapping, like, do you think there's a physical aspect to it? Heck yeah. I'll give me an example. TBI, traumatic brain injury. Can somebody hit, get hit in their head, traumatic uh, head, head injury, kids playing sports, fall, bang, whatever it is. There's oftentimes a personality change that follows that. Really? They become irritable. They can't be consoled. They don't rest well. They can't wait. They don't rest. They don't sleep well. They, they're just something's off about them. And until you fix that head, they're going to be miserable. I'll give you, give you an example. ADHD is very common ADHD. There's different kinds of ADHD, but here's one you notice. If a kid can be focused on something of interest, a book, right. a project, like, right. they're really hyper-focused yeah, yeah. on that stuff. Yet, when they're not interested, they just, they're off the walls. Right. These kids had head injuries. Really? It's almost 100% head and neck injury. Wow. I've, I've treated dozens of these kids. How do you treat that? A manipulation, work on them in the head like and neck. Like physical? Yeah. Wow. And you release the tension in the head and neck, and the change is, is, is like poof. Wow, that's fascinating. So you think that if a parent or a person is irritable and can't like, even though I know better, but I can't somehow get a grip on myself, it's a physical block. Could be a physical block. Or an injury or like a, a trauma on the body. A trauma on the body could also be nutritional. What are they eating? What are they eating? Eating junk? Well, if you're eating junk, how do you expect your body to be well if you're eating junk? Or another one, another popular one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this actually. You can get a preempt on this one. People are waking up, they're being tired a lot. Tired, tired, tired. I get plenty yeah. of tired, 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 tired. Ask them, are you watching your screen at nighttime? 
Right. You look at the screen with an hour of bedtime before bedtime, even two hours sometimes, you will have right, disrupted REM sleep. You cannot rest well. Right, because the light takes away the, right. the sleep chemical. Right. Interferes with your REM sleep. Which is the, and the, and the opposite in order to wake up and be awake is to look at light. Right. Right. But this is Exposure blue light from the computer light. screens are different. Blue light from the computer screens really damages the brain at nighttime. It wow. damages the brain so you can't rest. Right. And the proof is you wake up and you're tired. Wow. So people then do something even more interesting. They drink coffee. Right? I wake up, a cup of coffee, cup of joe, cup of coffee. Well, if you drink coffee past 12 o'clock or, or tea, Green that's, tea, right? ca that's caffeinated only? That's ca caffeinated. Okay. Past two o'clock in the afternoon, it will also disrupt your sleep architecture, your REM sleep. So now you've got another double whammy. You've wow. got the whammy of caffeine. You can sleep, but they don't rest. The proof is in the morning, what do they do? They wake up, they have a cup of right, coffee. Because they can't wake up. They're tired. Right. So if you're watching the screen at nighttime, and drinking coffee late in the day, I you're will just, be tired. You're, you cannot feel rested. Mm -hmm. You can get a high from drinking caffeine, but you're not rested. Right. So or right or energized or energized. Right. So now you got a function, and now what happens? You're tired, and the kids are being normal kids acting out. What do you do? How do you handle it? Plots. Yeah, you explode. Right. Because you can't take it. You can't take it. And when you're tired, you get so irritable and agitated. That's how people when they're tired. What happens? Right. And so you act irresponsibly. Now so you've got you got a big physical component to to having the ability to 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 be present and and you know right. So now um, you have brain chemistry, you have um, uh, sleep cycles, you have structure function relationships, and those three things will count for most people's. What the third one? Structure function relationships. Mm -hmm. The neck or the head is locked up and 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 tight. Right. Your brain cousin doesn't function well. Here's, I'll tell you a little interesting tidbit. The brain actually pulses between 8 and 12 times a minute, expands, contracts, different than the heart. It expands, called the cranial rhythmic impulse, CRI, cranial rhythmic impulse. So it, has, it, it does that. It coils and uncoils. And the skull around it, there are 22 bones in the head. They're supposed to move along with the movement of the brain. If your skull is somehow locked up someplace, either from a trauma, well, it's from a trauma of some sorts, it doesn't move well, the brain can't move well either within that skull. So that creates a constant tension? Tension, and it creates a dysfunction. So the brain does that physically? It actually expands and retracts? Yeah, if, if, if scans. And if it doesn't do that, there is tension. And there's something's so gonna, irritation. Something's going to malfunction. Something's going to malfunction wow. in, the, in the brain. Now, we see this in another interesting way. We see this a lot. What does every pediatrician tell you to do with babies? Mm. Back to sleep. Sleep on your back. Keep the kids on their back. Right. Right? Back to sleep. What do you notice about these kids? The backs of their head are round or flat. They're flattened. You can see the face is like big, face is always round, big, big, real, real wide round face and the eyes slightly bulging, like, like blown up because the back head is, is compressed, is flat. Now, every organ in the body, there are no straight lines in the body. As you can tell if there's a wow. fracture or not, look at x-ray, if there's a straight line, you know there's a fracture. Wow. 
There are no straight lines. Everything in the body is curved. If you take a, a, any organ in the body and you flatten it, what happens to the function of that organ? Is it enhanced or is it inhibited? What do you think? It's fractured. It's inhibited. Right. You take any organ in the body so and you flatten it. So what happens to the brain if it's flattened? If you flatten any organ, it distorts its function. Really? We have seen the changes in IQ and behaviors with kids with flat heads. Because wow. the brain is now flattened. It can't turn its normal rounded shape. Wow. So all these parents trying to do the right thing, back to sleep, back to sleep, right, back to people sleep. People are afraid of, of you know, baby death. Oh, SIDS, right? Crib death. That's whole another discussion. Why right. would a normal, healthy child die suddenly? And even even with the putting them on the back, it's also a mystery. Right. It's like, okay, put on the back, but we still don't know. Right. And so now we have all these kids with flat heads. It's very helmets. scary. I know when... I know when our when our kids were little, it's like count. It's very scary that first year. Yeah, but you 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 don't think that putting them on the back is a. There is some correlation. Back on the back seems to help. Um, but is it worth it? What you're saying, or maybe just for the first year and then? Well, there's there's interesting correlations of SIDS. There's now something called SADS, sudden adult death syndrome. Since since 2021. Incident of sudden death syndrome has skyrocketed. Just skyrocketed. Wow. So those are dropping dead suddenly. It's all over the place. That's COVID stuff now. Yeah. Not from, not, not from the disease. Mm. The shot. Right. And they, it's, they're trying to deny it, but it's so, it's ramped up so high. I'm talking millions, around the world, millions of deaths from this stuff. It's, it's really a sudden adult death syndrome. Um, and it's just snowballing like crazy. Um, there's a lot of thinking of that the, SIDS is related to the Tdap. And what is that? The tetanus, diphtheria, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Shot. As it's within within I think four to six weeks of the Tdap, and they have the highest risk of SIDS. Wow. Right. So, so you suggest to put people to put babies on their on their backs for the first year, or no? Wow. Yeah, our babies didn't sleep. They wouldn't. I mean. Yeah, they say on the belly fine. And now there's so many caveats to that. So that's the, so right. So that's the physical. So there's so many physical components to irritability and anxiety and and being a good dad. And also, how do you how do you handle stress? How do you handle the stuff? You know, you're you're working your your ding dongs off, really trying hard. And you can't make enough money. Your boss is ragging on you. And you come home. How do you come home and be a normal, healthy, loving dad? Because the stress is there, and the, with the current economical shifts, it, it's a shift, and we're in the mid, in the beginning of it. And there's a, there's an imbalance, like with costs and income. It's just uh, for a lot of people, right? So how how does one be a good dad? To first themselves, of all, to their families. First, of recognize it's not your fault. Mm. The second thing is I had to breathe. I'll teach you. We'll do a a, a three minute. Less than that. Um, a one-minute breathing exercise. And you're going to take a deep breath. You're going to hold it for 10 seconds and exhale for, for nine seconds and do it three times in a row. Okay. I'll count it out. Don't worry. I'll, I'll show you. And listening, you can do this also. You can do it when you're driving. It's okay. You keep your eyes open. And not one of these, cl- close your eyes. No, no, no. Keep your eyes open. Look around if you want to. Take a deep breath. Hold Take a deep breath. Hold it for 10 seconds. Exhale. Deep breath. Hold it. Exhale. 
deep breath. Exhale. That was a trip. Yeah. I, I, it, I have no words. <laughs> yeah, cool. Like my brain silenced and my body's calm. Yeah, breath work is something. Right. Because it instantly changes the chemistry of the body. It's like whatever happens in the brain, which is anxiety, this does breath work techniques will do the opposite. Nishama says Nishima. Right, right it's the same letters. Right, so coming home, one is it's not your fault. Two is breathe. Breathe. Bring the house, take a few minutes, take a minute and breathe. Or you can get home the house. Guys, got to breathe. Got to breathe for one minute. Everyone breathe together. We're all breathing together for one minute. I think having a, a clear picture of values share with, 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 your, with your wife and the kids, you, share, you know what the values are. Right, to, to write them, to speak about them. So it's not just out there. So it's right. here and present. That's where I go back to. So we fall. And where do we go back? It's to the, to the values. How your voice sounds so different. You're breathing. Yeah, you know how different you sound. Right. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> it is. <laughs> My brain is mostly blank. Right. There's sometimes coming home, it's just rough. Right. <laughs> Kids are going past the walls and someone's hungry and this and that. And that. It's like, luckily we have cell phones. We can always call home before we get there and see, you know, or check in with their, their wife or the kids from check in. We're coming home. What's going on? Watch out, I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> right, because the talking beforehand is so valuable, I've learned. I mean, Lely taught me that. Like, the planning is so valuable, and sometimes people don't want to check in because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. And it's so much better to know beforehand so I can take that breath. Like, in anything, it's probably the mature thing to do is to know. Just reality is mature. Right. There's also, you know, the other issues we have, we're talking to the men coming home from work, but what if the woman is a breadwinner? How does a man be a terrific dad? How do you handle that, the stresses? The wife, both you and your wife are working or she's working or home. There's a lot of dynamic issues, but all of those things, all of those things have the exact same problem at its root and its source. Is your values. Right, and agreeing on them. Agreeing on the, agreeing on the values. Agreeing so what, on the happens, values. what happens a lot is like, what happens with people that like things change, like the values change, goals change in a couple? Like how do, how do people like, like what a, happens then? You know, this is something which I did not have. I didn't even know I needed it when going through my wife. We agree with most things. A few things we did, we didn't, we had different values. And um, we struggled with bedtime for the kids. She was brought up as going to bed was a punishment. Go to bed, go to bed as a punishment. Mm-hmm. And of course, bedtime is therefore now a punishment time. It's a bad thing. I mean, bedtime is great. You get a chance to get to sleep, get refreshed, <laughs> get energized. The next day is good. And so we have a, it was a really rough time, bedtime. We finally got resolved, went to a third party. All right. Someone to talk between the two of you. Let's figure this out. What's the issue? Benefits, liabilities, risk, benefit, ratios, and make a decision we can agree with. Right. And so we need a third, par- third party. Right. Whether it's a close friend or it's a rabbi. It's a right. Therapist. So when so people like start, start going their own ways, which is healthy in a sense, I develop my identity. Specifically, if people marry really young, it makes sense that people change. It's then to find, okay, so where do we meet and on what do we meet and what makes most sense and what is most valuable. 
right. to agree on. I want to hear more army yeah. stuff <laughs> <laughs> and more about ADHD. Because I'm noticing that ADHD used to be a diagnosis of an illness and now it's just like, it's just a way of a brain functions best. Like there's an ADHD brain and there's other brains and there's not or ADD, but it's like, but then to expect that this kind of operating system should work the same as the other kind of operating system is it becomes a, a, a turmoil and a constant mess. Yeah. It, it, and the ADHD brains... Well, first of all, what cause, what's, how do we treat ADHD? We treat it with amphetamines, right? Ritalin, Adderall, all the rest of the spinoff drugs. And they're just stimulants. Why? Because oftentimes the kids are what? Kids are tired. Tired kids bounce off the walls. They're hyper. They can't say Right, focused. right. Miriam Madahan mentioned to me the, on our drive to the studio, she mentioned about like ADHD and really, really focusing on sleep and enough sleep and a lot of sleep and food. Because right. as soon as any of those two are missing, that's one reason for the brain to not being able to to regulate. But, yeah. I'm glad she was listening. <laughs> you know, she and I have had many conversations about this stuff. And it's it's true. It's it's the food choices and the sleep. Kids don't get enough rest. But what about school system? Like, how is the ADHD brain supposed to, like, manage? What are they, like? So... We have, we have, now we School have- School system, adults with work, and like how is it, how is functioning supposed to work? Okay, we just now have three layers out. We have three layers to talk right now, first of all. <laughs> the kids coming in handicapped, being tired, not having proper bedtime. Then the kids usually eating bad food, because right. they want sugary food to get into the little me- mental boost, which then up, sugar goes up and down and crashes, they get hypoglycemic and they get wacky and they can't focus. And now you've got a tired kid who's eating bad food and can't, has no fuel for the brain, can't function properly. Right. And they have a school system not designed for these kids. Schools designed- These kids, we're talking about a half a class. I, I don't know what the diagnosis rate is, but from people I know, I don't know real numbers. I know just people I know. Like there, I think there's, I don't know if I, I, th- I, couldn't I, say, don't know if I could think- Could I say better myself? Like, but, but it's like, I meet just as many people that are ADHD than are not almost. It's like, it's a type of brain, but then a school is not designed for, for ADHD brains. Well, what they've done made it even worse because they, they agitate the brains even more. I'll tell you one, what, treatment ADHD brains, have them run real hard for 10 minutes. Run real, real hard. I have, I have a nephew, Alfred Beller, um, who was just uh, featured, I think it was in Omni Magazine. Yeah. And how he gets his kids, makes his kids active. Run, just jump. Just move. Move. Kicks for kids, especially boys. Boys are not girls. They're very different. I'm sorry if in Bursha Bubble, folks, boys and girls are different. Different ideas and perspectives and moving, everything. We're very different. And boys need to move around. They need to be active. And they need to jump around and bounce off the wall sometimes. Okay, fine. They need to tell they, they give them something to do and they can think better. Fine. Maybe because they need to run for, for 10 minutes and they can think better. I mean, you mm-hmm. want to watch, I mean, the greatest punch for a kid, you give, take away a kid's recess for missing. Right. Now the kid's off the wall. Right. So what do parents do? Like I'm thinking of, of, of you know, of my kids and schools and I'm not liking anything <laughs> because I don't think it caters to, to their brains. I'm like, I, I didn't diagnose Levy formally, but I know his what he enjoys and where he's happiest and where he strives, and I know where he's not. And I'm thinking of a, of a regular school system, and I'm like, how is he going to survive? I know I didn't. I didn't do well. Like, box me in the classroom for, for eight hours a day. It does not work. I was just not there. So I was. So like, what's at, the answer? What, what should parents do? I, I look at the basics. Are they getting enough sleep? 
The waking up, refresh the waking up tiger. Okay, and then food. Then what food are you feeding them? Okay, and then the classroom becomes okay? And it, oftentimes it does. Then really? I, then, I, then I look at, why not look at the kids' activity? Are they being active enough? Both my, all my kids had a little hard time, especially my sons had a real hard time in school until I got them into karate. Wow. And they, got, they got quite good at karate. So but you they, believe that, that the sleep, the food, and movement will, like, will help you know, sitting in a regular school class? Oh, absolutely. Really? Get energy. Get the body fit and moving and feeling strong and focused. Karate was great for my boys. Had the right kind right, of, because every ADHD person knows that they can hyper-focus. So the right. focus is there. It's not like it's a lack of focus. It's almost a need for, for other things, too. Right. And then check, is there a problem with the body structure? Something wrong with the head and neck? The body is somehow out of, out of balance. And it really is the extent of it, of how important these things are. I had one of my daughters, it was a very, very sweet, gentle, just sweet, sweet child. And she became agitated and angry and screaming and acting out. So what is with this kid? Of course, go to your room, da, 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 da. you kind of stuff parents do. I said, wait, something's wrong. It doesn't make any sense. This child's nature is, is a sweet nature. Why is a child acting out now? What's going on? I said, let me fill your head for a second. I said, what, what happened? What happened? I said to her. She's a little girl, six, seven years old. Well, she was, she was very tired one day. She, like my wife and we had, we had a discussion about bedtime and she was up too late. And um, she was taking a little nap on the bus going to school. And she sat on the, on the, on the side by the window. I had her head resting on the window, which bang, bang, bang. He was bang, bang on the window. Really? Bang, 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 bang. And it stored her head and neck. And she was just off the wall. I treated her head wow. and neck. And then, bam, it was like magic. So for, for people herself. that can't reach you, what, what practitioner are they looking for? You can find a... a, a, a um, uh, the best is going to be an osteopathic physician who does cranial osteopathy. That's going to be the highest, the, the best. Because wow. you have to get a lot of tests to get that certification. You have to get a lot to get, to get there. Wow. Um, cranial psychotherapists, some of them are, some are very talented, very good. Wow. Um, some chiropractors that kind of work, some do, some don't. Right. You got to look and find out who's so, so I So we set up the discipline, the emotional part, the boundaries, the love, the hugs. And then we look at, okay, what else is blocking? And that's a very holistic Right. That's a very holistic approach. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Sometimes the kids have visual problems. They can't see as well. And there's something called Erlen. Erlen, which means they don't see how the guy, he's like he's almost 40 years old. He, he's a very smart guy. He struggles, can barely read. I'm looking, cheating, and I said, wait a second. Tell me what's going on. Turns out, I said, You're, you can't see. Wow. So, You're right. I said, you see what? The only words or he anything? Can't, he can't see words. He can't define the words. He's very, very smart. But he couldn't get from reading words. He couldn't translate. It just didn't work in his brain. I said, your problem is you need early. And he had an early. It's a type thing using color films and filters. Certain colors you can see at certain times you can't see. Anyway, he got these special lenses for his glasses and overlays for, for his reading. He says, you should know. I tell my reading, I thank you, bless you every time I see wow. you. Because... No one ever thought, no one ever told me that I couldn't see. Wow, that is wild. And so now he's like, he's like, loves reading. He couldn't read before. Wow. He couldn't see because he needed to have the light filtered. It didn't work. Whether it's fluorescent lights or whatever, whatever the story was, the light, right. it didn't work. He needed Erlen technique to see. Wow. So there's many, many reasons right. that kids are not functioning well. And drugs is sometimes the answer. It does help. Right. 
but Tem- it's temporary, probably. Well, done properly. Now, people take the, the medication for ADHD for a long time. They end right. up having a lot of other problems later right. in life, right. serious problems, mental problems. And so um, Alzheimer's is a, a risk factor or Alzheimer's. Really? But what, what happens with the medications, if you need a very low dose, the first one you take, you got to go, the kid goes, wow, that's, then you have the right medication. If you got to keep bumping the dose up higher and higher and higher, you're on the wrong track. Ah, uh, I see. Because it, it's a chemical release. It's either, it's, if it works, it'll work. Right. If you got to put, put a high dose, make a change, you're trying to overpower a system, not trying to help right. the system. Right. And so you can help, medications can be a tremendous help for kids. Right. I'm not one medication, but used properly. Right. And looking at, a, yeah, and looking at the whole picture, which Big is picture. the food and the sleep and the body. Right. Wonderful. Benyamin, thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Your website is... This Be, specific website that you're yeah. talking about is beaterrificdad.com. Right. I'm going to put it in the description. And um, I appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom. It was a pleasure. Your story and some of it. It's um, really, really wonderful. <laughs>